Good morning. My task today, as was announced, is to speak on unconditional election. And at this time, I'd like to call your attention to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. One of the most commonly used texts on this subject. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. Reading from the New King James Version, we are told, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. In reference to unconditional election, we are talking only about sociological election or election unto salvation. Now, what does this election mean? Unconditional election means that long before Adam sinned, God had already decreed and determined to save a certain number of sinners. In other words, in eternity past, God the Father chose a people in Christ who would be saved. Or before time began, God elected many from among mankind whom he purposed to save from his wrath. Why did God choose or elect certain individuals unto salvation? This is a very important question. God's choice of particular sinners to salvation was not based upon any foreseen act or goodness or willingness on the part of the elected ones. My brethren, concerning Jacob and Esau, Paul says in Romans 9.11, for the children not yet being born, 
nor having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand not of works, but of him who calls. God's choice of election unto salvation was based entirely on his good pleasure and sovereign will. Listen again to how the Apostle Paul puts it in Ephesians 1, 6 and 5. He says, God predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will to the praise of the glory of his grace he also says in 2nd Timothy 1 8 and 9 therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord nor of me his prisoner but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God who has saved us and called us with a holy calling not according to our works but according to his own purpose and grace which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Unconditional election then was not determined upon anything that man would do, will or think, but resulted entirely from God's self-determined purpose. Listen, the same principle was true in God's election of Israel as a nation. God did not choose Israel to be his special people because she had some good to merit God's choice. Deuteronomy chapter 7 verses 6 to 8 clearly teaches the Lord's sovereign choice of Israel when it says, and you can turn to this passage because it is very significant. This passage says, For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself a people for himself a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth the Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any people for you were the least of all peoples but because the Lord loves you 
And because he would keep his oath which he swore to your fathers, the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Dear friends, I want to say that God does his choosing in all phases of election according to the good pleasure of his will. So God's choice of any individual unto salvation was not based on their goodness, works, holiness, not even on their faithfulness to the gospel. But for centuries, unconditional election has been a vexatious as well as a delightful subject to different theologians and professing Christians. Of course, depending on which side of the fence one is or on which school of theology they are in, they believe that unconditional election is a diabolical doctrine and therefore they treat it with vehement hatred and opposition. On the other hand, those who believe that unconditional election is a biblical doctrine love and appreciate it hallelujah they delight in it because it is gratifying to them I am here to say today that Dr. John Piper is one of those persons and I am also one of those persons who delight in unconditional election Dr. Piper wrote an article a few years ago entitled Five Reasons to Embrace Unconditional Election and I want to borrow his outline and some notes because I believe everything he says. Five reasons to embrace unconditional election. He says, first of all, we embrace unconditional election because it is true. He emphasizes that unconditional election is not just true, but precious. It is not just true, but it is precious. And argues that all his objections to unconditional election collapsed when he could no longer 
explain away Romans chapter 9. The chapter begins with Paul's readiness to be cursed off from his Jewish unbelievers. Kingsmen, Romans 9 verse 3, this implies that some Jews are perishing. And that raises the question of God's promise to the Jews. Had it failed? Paul answers, it is not as though the word of God has failed. No. Romans 9, 6. Why not? Because not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. Romans 9, 6. In other words, God's purpose was not to acquit every individual person in Israel. It was instead a purpose of election. So to illustrate the point of God's unconditional election, Paul uses the analogy of Jacob and Esau. Though they were not yet born and had done nothing, either good or bad, in other words, that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls Rebecca was told the older will serve the younger, Romans 9, 11 and 12. In other words, God's original purpose in choosing individuals for himself out of Israel and all the nations, Revelation chapter 5 verse 9 was not based on any conditions that they would meet. It was an unconditional election and thus he says, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Romans 9, 15 and 16, and Romans 11, 5 to 7. Jesus confirms this teaching that all the Father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me I will never cast out John 6 37 coming to Jesus is not a condition to meet to qualify for election it is the result of election the father has chosen his sheep they are his and he gives them to the son that is why they they come to him yes that is why they come to him jesus says no one can come to me unless it is granted him by my father john 6 65 
and he says again, you did not choose me, but I chose you. John 15 verse 16. In the book of Acts, why did some believe and not others? Luke's answer is election. For as many as were ordained or appointed to eternal life believed. Acts 13 verse 48. Reason number two. We embrace unconditional election because God designed it to make us fearless in our proclamation of his grace in a hostile world. My brethren, to live a life of holiness in this fallen world will obviously result in persecution and tribulation. Second Timothy chapter 3 verse 12, John 6 33. And to herald the truth of God such as the doctrines of grace which are so hated by so many people all over the world including many professing Christians will undoubtedly result in pain and suffering. But that should not be feared by the man of God because he is never alone in the presentation of the gospel of Christ. He has not only the presence and power of God with him, but also the provision which God has made to save his elect. This was a great encouragement to the Apostle Paul on his missionary journey to Corinth. We are told in Acts 8, uh, rather chapter 18, Acts 18, Verses 9 and 10. Listen to what the Lord said to Paul in this two verses. Now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision. Do not be afraid, but speak and do not keep silent, for I am with you. And no man will attack you to hurt you. For I have, listen, I have many people in this city. God's electing grace is a sure encouragement and defense against fear in the proclamation of the gospel of Christ. That is why we can say, like the Apostle Paul, if God is for us, who can be against us? Who shall bring any charge? 
against God's elect. Romans 8, 31 and 33. We embrace unconditional election because number one, it is true and precious. Number two, God designed it to make us fearless in our proclamation of His grace in a hostile world. Number three, we embrace unconditional election because God designed it to make us humble. Beloved, when we consider what we are in Adam and what we are in Christ now, comparatively speaking, when we consider where God took us from and where he has brought us, yes, when we consider our wretchedness and nothingness as sinners in Adam and what we are now in Christ, we abound to say we are what we are by the grace of God. That's what salvation is all about. It is all about God's grace and unconditional election is not about us having anything or having done anything. It is all about God's purpose and grace. Listen now, some theologians, I heard this nonsense just a few weeks ago. Some theologians say that saved people must not refer to themselves as worms and being wretched. But if you have truly experienced the grace of God in salvation, you will not be ashamed, but will be proud and be humbled to say like Paul, O wretched man that I am, and like John Newton, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Twas blind, but now I see. And you would also be proud to say, like Isaac was, Oh yes, alas, indeed, my Savior bleed, and did my sovereign die. Would he devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? God elects the weak and lame so that they would not be boastful but be a thankful and humble people. Notice what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 26 to 29. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 26 to 29. He says, For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the 
foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the best things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing, the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. We embrace unconditional election because number four, God made it a powerful moral impetus for compassion, kindness, and forgiveness. Brethren, if we claim to be God's elect and we are what we are, by the grace of God, which is linked to God's compassion, kindness, and forgiveness. How in the world can we have no compassion, kindness, and forgiveness for others? Jesus believed in election, even though he did not emphasize it. A whole lot, even though he did not emphasize it, a whole lot in his preaching. However, he was compassionate, kind, and forgiving. The Apostle Paul is a classic example of one who believed and preached election, and yet he was compassionate kind and forgiven and he wrote these words in Colossians 1 12 and 13 not only for us to read but also for us to practice Amen. he said therefore as the elect of God holy and beloved Put on tender mercies, oh, yeah. kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, mm-hmm. bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a quarrel or complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. What kind of heart should unconditional election give us? It should give us a thankful heart. Amen. A kind heart. Amen. A compassionate heart. A humble heart. And a forgiving heart. Why we embrace unconditional election we Embrace unconditional election because number one, it is true and precious. Number two, God designed it to make us fearless in our proclamation of his grace in a hostile world. Number three, God designed it to make us humble. Number four, God made it a powerful moral impetus 
for compassion, kindness, and forgiveness. And number five, we embrace unconditional election because it is a powerful incentive in our evangelism to help unbelievers who are great sinners not despair. One of the arguments we must avoid in presenting the gospel is who is elect and who is not elect because we do not know who are the elect only God knows that our duty is to faithfully proclaim the gospel to every creature and let God call his elect for he has designed preaching to accomplish this goal not knowing who are the elect our message to unbelievers should include repent and believe the gospel believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved and those who believe will make their calling and election show there are many many who hate the doctrine of unconditional election you see their interpretation of election is about God choosing some people to show his light and glory through so that everyone else can be drawn to him election they say is not about having some people who are pets and some people who are not pets it is always how wrong they are it is always about how God chooses some people in a special way to be a light to draw others to himself Pastor Jonathan, not Jabatis, Pastor Jonathan Martin is one of those people who believes this nonsense. And the following is his brief rebuttal of Dr. Piper's five reasons to embrace unconditional election number one if unconditional election is true salvation Jonathan Martin says is an arbitrary lottery (laughs) nonsense he claims to be very uncomfortable with the idea that God's election is not based on foreseen faith and says if it is God's free choice of what traitors he will pardon and adopt I can see no way to understand this other 
than as purely arbitrary. He says, regardless of how we understand sovereignty of free will or salvation, it implies that God picks and chooses favorites for no apparent reason. Nice. <laughs> Number two, according to Jonathan Martin, if unconditional election is true, God's creation is an act of cruelty. By this he means if God chose before the foundation of the world who he would save and who he would not save, then it is an act of unimaginable cruelty to create those people he has already chosen to save. They never have any hope of anything other than eternal conscious torment. Number three, if unconditional, I'm, I'm soon finished, if, if unconditional election is true, loving my neighbor is an unfair demand, says Jonathan Martin. His futile argument is if God only loved a few enough to save them from hell, why should he love his neighbor? In my view, Jonathan says, loving our neighbor or neighbors is one of the things that confirms our calling and election of God. Another nonsense. Number four, if unconditional election is true, our natural response will be survivor's guilt according to Jonathan Martin. But I want to say that unconditional election is God's business in all fairness and it should not cause anyone to feel bad. Actually, it should cause the elect to praise God. Yeah. Five, Pastor Jonathan Martin says, if unconditional election is true, God cannot be trusted. And he concludes his rebuttal by saying, if this is true, how can I lift my hands or my voice to praise a God who doesn't want to save all creation? How could I call a God good or beautiful or loving if I truly believed that his redemptive work is reserved for a few favorite recipients? He says further, I can't accept that God would choose a few and then choose that the rest should perish as part of his plan. This is not about theories of sovereignty or election. This is about the very nature of God and whether or not he cares about his own creation. 
I have to believe that he does. In conclusion, my conclusion, I say, one, that all of these objections by Jonathan Martin must be rejected as baseless because no biblical support is offered for any of them. Number two, God is accountable to no man. He is the big boss. God is the potter. And we are the clay. And therefore, the clay has no ability or right to reply against God. Number three, God is sovereign. He does what he pleases. He could have chosen to save none. For he was under no obligation to show mercy to any. Thankfully, he chose to save some. Praise his holy name. Number four. We can make our calling and election sure. Yes, we can make our calling and election sure. Not only by our coming to Christ for salvation, but also by our constant work of love toward God and man. By our constant walk of faith in God. By our constant war against sin and desire to live holy to the praise and glory of God. By our constant willingness to continue in a church that is biblical in its teachings. And by our constant waiting in anticipation for the second return of Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God.